0: speaking about the presence of the Lord and the importance of the presence of the Lord in our lives. And I believe it's such a vital component that I myself am only beginning to understand how important it actually is. And I am seeking more of His presence in my life. And one of the reasons is that we've recently received a prophetic word here at life, concerning the fact that this place will be a place where God wants to make his presence unusually real. And I've been beginning to believe God for that. Because I can remember in my father's day at his, in his church, people would come in to an empty building and they would be quite struck by the presence of the Lord that they were aware of. And so I know the difference it makes. And so I'm beginning to trust for us as a congregation that God would do just that. And I wanted to encourage us as a, as a local congregation that we take hands and say, God, let it be. Let it be. Because I believe the presence of God is vitally important. I want to read two stories today, and they both stories about the disciples and their fishing experiences. Now, most of you know these stories, but most people don't know that there are two. How many of you knew that there were two stories about fishing? Well, there are two stories, and we're going to read them in a moment. But the interesting thing is that these stories are so remarkably similar. The one is in the book of Luke and the one is in the book of John. They are not two different accounts of the same thing. They are different occasions where something very similar happened. And they are unique in that regard. So if you want to turn with me firstly to the book of Luke, chapter 5, And it's the first 11 verses, Luke chapter 5 from verse 1. And this is the first of these two stories about these fishermen and their experience. And I know we do have some avid fishermen here in the congregation, so uh, maybe it will be something that will appeal to you a little bit. Luke chapter 5 from verse 1, Um, reading from the beginning of that chapter. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake Gennesaret, And he saw two boats at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats which belonged to which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land, and he sat down and he began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon, and suddenly the word Peter is added, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. Some of the translations say fishers of men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Isn't that a beautiful story? It's just a remarkable story of a remarkable conversion. It's just a remarkable story of a miracle, and it's also a remarkable story of the difference the presence of God makes in any situation. Now, would you turn to the book of John? John chapter 21. Again, it's almost the same number of verses from verse 1 through to verse 12. And here we see a slightly different but alarmingly similar story. And it happens in a different time frame. John chapter 21 from verse 1. It says, after these things, Jesus manifested, or he showed himself again, to the, to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Simon Peter, remember that was the strange addition to the name I mentioned, and Thomas, remember Thomas was the famous one for doubting. I don't know if you have a doubting bone in you, but then maybe you want to follow the story because Thomas was a doubter. And Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. So here you've got this group of disciples sitting together. And then it says, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will come with you. They went out and they got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking... Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, because he had stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards away, dragging a net full of fish. So when they got onto the land, they saw a fire already laid and fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question who he was. They knew it was the Lord. Another remarkable story, and it's, it's unusually similar, you have to agree. Now, who have you realized, you know, did you realize that these two different stories were there? Sometimes, you know, we, we read and we think we have perhaps been through it all, but We miss sometimes just these little things. And I firstly began to look at the the common aspects. There are certain common aspects between these two stories. Firstly, they're both stories about a fishing experience. I don't know if you've had a fishing experience, but this is a story about a fishing experience. They are both stories about successful professional fishermen. Thirdly, they are both stories about hard work and toil. Fourthly, they are both stories about something that happened in the night season. Next, they're both stories about determination. It says they fished all night. They were determined. Number six, I see that they're both stories about failure. Failure. And about an unsuccessful experience. I see that they are both stories about success that came after failure. That should give us all hope. They are both stories about doing things without God. And they are both stories about when the Lord arrives on the scene. They are both stories that include an instruction from Jesus, and they are both stories about a supernatural miracle. They are also both stories about a change of heart, the change of hearts of those involved. They are both stories that recognize Jesus as God, and they are both stories about the presence of Jesus and the difference it makes and they are both stories in which all doubt is removed those are the similarities maybe you can pick up one or more one or two more but as i said those are the similarities then i see there's differences between the two stories the first story occurs before the disciples even became disciples and the other one occurred after they'd been disciples for some time i see the other difference is that the The first story occurs prior to the death of Jesus, and the second one occurs after his death and resurrection. The first story had an unspecified great quantity of fish. The second, it was specified, 153. I tried to go and look up what is the significance of 153, and the mathematicians had pages and pages telling us, and I... You know, I fell off at about line eight. (laughs) 153. In the first story, the nets broke, and the two boats were filled, and they almost sank. In the second story, the nets were filled, and they held. And there was only one small boat that made it to land without problems. In the one story, Peter fell at his feet and asked Jesus to go away. In the second story, Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to Jesus in order to get there as quickly as possible. In the first story, we see this radical conversion. In the second story, we see a radical response. In the first story, we see people were amazed. And in the second, we see a realization that comes on them. In the first story, we see a change of destiny. He says, from now on, you will be called fishers of men. And in the second, we see a change of understanding. It is the Lord. In the first story, we see an instruction. You will be fishers of men. And in the second story, we see an instruction. Feed my sheep. In the first story, they followed Jesus. And in the second story, they ate with him, speaking of relationship. So two amazing stories with all these similarities and all these differences. And I, I wonder why Jesus allowed these men to go through these two very similar experiences. And I believe it all comes down to understanding how important the presence of Jesus is is. That's what I believe. The first thing I noticed is that on the arrival of Jesus, there was a turning point. Things turned. Things had gone in one direction all night. Jesus arrives. Things go in a different direction. It's a turning point. And I believe that Jesus Christ is not only the turning point in individual lives, but he's also the turning point of all history. He's that turning point of history as we know it. And as Christians, of course, he's the turning point in our lives. Most of us can, we speak of, you know, BC days before Christ. And we sometimes will joke about what we used to do in our BC days because we are changed. There came a turning point and we are changed. We call it conversion and it's a strong word, conversion, and I have got it here in Greek, but I'm not going to try and pronounce it, lest I offend some Greek people in the congregation. But the definition is a process of change in which we change from one state to a totally different state. It reminds me of the process where ice changes to water, a totally different state. But maybe it's even more radical than that. Maybe it's sublimation. That is the process where ice changes directly to a gas. Just this week we had a bit of dry ice in the office and one of the ladies had brought her little girl in and I was demonstrating to this little girl what sublimation is. And I don't think she could understand the word but she saw it happen in front of her. And I believe that change is what happens and when Jesus comes on the scene it is a turning point point. and I believe many of us here have experienced such a turning point if you've never experienced such a turning point I believe you can stop for a moment and just say Lord may I also experience a turning point would you step into my situation and circumstances the second thing I see is that we must be aware of doing our own thing just a little warning thrown in here It's more from the second story in John 21 and verse 3. The the disciples got frustrated and they were discouraged. And so they decided, we're going to go fishing. We know how to solve this. We know what's good therapy for us. A little bit of fishing. Let's go and do some fishing. And so they decide to do this. Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, we will also come with you. And here they go to do their own thing. It wasn't an instruction from the Lord. They wanted to do their own thing. They've, they wanted to do what they felt like doing. They wanted to do what seemed good unto them. And I believe what God instructs, he commands his blessing on. But what God does not instruct, does not carry his blessing. And I believe that's why it's so important for us, his children, to hear his voice and obey and that there can be a supernatural success as a result. And here we also see that they went fishing without Jesus. You must remember the disciples had spent all their time with Jesus. Now suddenly they go fishing without him. And they, they, hadn't, they hadn't even received an instruction and They were just doing this. It reminds me a little bit about what Pastor Mark spoke about last Sunday. Who of you were here to hear Pastor Mark? It was such a good, encouraging sermon. But he spoke about that we are athletes in a race. But there's some rules to the race. When you arrive at the Olympic Games, there's a track that's marked out for you to run in. And that you need to run in that track. And if you arrive with your own tin of paint and a brush and decide, I prefer a different track you will be disqualified, and you will not have success. And sometimes, I suppose this is what the disciples were doing. They were in this track, discouraged, and so they thought, let's just create another track. Let's just go fishing. And the end result is that they had no success. I don't want to live like that. I want to have success in my own life. And I believe That we need to run in in an alignment with his instructions and in alignment with his abiding presence in our lives years ago we used to sing a song the words went like this i have no power of my own it was a strange little short song we sang it for a very short season but the words have never fallen out of my spirit without him our lives without him in our lives nothing is worthwhile but with him Everything can have meaning and purpose and effectiveness. The other thing I see is that with the presence of the Lord came the miracle. You want a miracle in your life? Seek his presence. You want a miracle in your life? Seek his presence. And I believe there's a link between the presence of the Lord in our lives and miracles. Sometimes we seek the miracles, we seek the gifts and not the giver. I believe we must seek his presence for out of that can come miracles. I believe if the presence of Jesus is in your church, there can be miracles in your church. If the presence of Jesus is in your life group, there can be miracles in your life group. If the presence of Jesus is in your business, there can be miracles in your business. If the presence of Jesus is in your family, there can be miracles in your family. If the presence of Jesus is in your marriage, there can be miracles in your marriage. The next thing I see is that success goes with the presence of the Lord. His presence brings success. And for me, the the, the most powerful scripture out of these two stories is found in John 21 and verse 7. And it says, The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. It's the Lord. And it's like the penny dropped. Of course, yes. That's why we're having success. It's the Lord. Of course it is. It's the Lord. And there's just this this sudden recognition of the hand of God. And for me, that's so encouraging. I've told this story before, but let me share it again just to make my point. Years ago, we were meeting with an advocate who was helping us draft legal entities the organization that I was involved with and he had done many such things helping different ministries and churches put their legal structure together and he'd helped many do this and he said to me you know I've worked with many churches many ministries many non-profit organizations many charities I've helped them put these things together he says I've discovered there are two types He says, the type that puts five cents in and gets a hundred rand out, and the type that puts a hundred rand in and gets five cents out. He says, that's what I found. And he says, you know, I, I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, some, you just know this is right. This is a God thing. Even if it is a secular thing, you just know it's right. They're trying to play catch up because it has gone so fast. They put five cents in and they got 100 rand out. They don't know why, but it was an absolute miracle. He says, and the others, they've been slogging and, slogging and slogging and slogging and slogging and slogging and slogging. and There's nothing to show for it. And I think that's the difference in this story. Because when God is in it, he'll give it success. There might be a time of struggle or a a season that might be a bit challenging, but ultimately God will see it through. And that's the remarkable story here. And this illustration, I believe, applies to all areas of life. Success goes where his presence is. And his presence can bring breakthrough beyond what is humanly possible. You must remember these were experienced professional fishermen. I mean, if you want to catch fish, who would you go to? An experienced professional fisherman. That's what you would do. That's why when we get sick, we go to the doctor. He is an experienced professional. We go to the doctor. And if the doctor doesn't know what to do, what does he do? He refers you to a specialist. Because there's a better chance of success. With a professional. And I believe that here we sit, and sometimes we, you know, when, we, when we're sick, we run to the doctor. When, we, when we're in trouble, we run to the lawyer. When we're battling within, we may seek out the help of a counselor. But there's sometimes when even that doesn't work. And then we need to turn to the great physician the person the Bible calls the advocate. And the person the Bible calls the wonderful counselor. And I believe he can do beyond what is humanly possible. The presence of God can work in people's lives and produce results that years of counseling were unable to achieve. I've seen the presence of God coming into people's lives and they choose to forgive and their health issues get resolved. And I believe his presence can bring breakthrough beyond what is humanly possible. Let me just detour here a little bit. And I've got my next point here, that God can fill your empty nets. In both these stories, they went fishing and the nets were empty. The nets were empty. And I I want to encourage you and say, God can take the very same nets that came up empty under our own initiative and fill them. When we're operating under his instruction and his presence. And maybe today there's some empty nets in your life. Maybe there's some unfulfilled things. You tried and you tried and you tried and didn't work. But maybe today God is turning things around and he's arriving on the shore. And maybe today he wants to begin. To fill those empty nets, perhaps it's something you had hoped would work, something you put great energy and effort into, and yet it never brought the reward you had hoped for, or that you had seen others achieve with much less effort. But I just want to say to you today, God, that that thing that He's drawing us, He's saying, "Let me fill your empty nets. Let me fill your empty nets." You see, we can do nothing of lasting value without His presence in our lives. Nobody wants to waste their lives. I mean, we want to live lives that have an effect and produce lasting good fruit. We want to leave a legacy for our children and our families to be proud of. We want to be remembered for doing the right thing. And I believe that as we pursue His presence... Those things we do can have value and we can leave a legacy. It says in John 15, verse 5, I'll just read it to you. It says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Just a little later in verse 16, it says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. That's God's instruction to you and I. And for me it's it's a great encouragement. We need more of his presence in our lives, and I want to wrap up now. During the week we discovered a quote that my father, Pastor Ed Rabert, had written, and by the way, we do have a Facebook page for him. You're welcome to go and like it, and we release on a Monday to Friday just certain of the The quotes he made during his sermons, it's Pastor Ed Rabit on Facebook. You can just go and like it, and you can get the quote. The quote was the following. He said this, We can do without many things, but none of us can do without Christ. We can do without many things, but none of us can do without Christ. Now, for us children of God, isn't that a beautiful thought? That's a beautiful statement. Do you know, for the unbelievers, that is offensive. So we popped it on social media, as we do. Nothing could have prepared me for the barrage of ugliness. I cannot understand how people on Facebook can turn from angels into devils, <laughs> but they can. I think they feel like, like they're locked behind a screen, so I can't say what they will. <laughs> the outpouring of venom was unbelievable the foul language I mean one lady wrote and said God sent a bear and killed 42 children and you want me to have him in my life it amazed me because she had her facts correct she knew the story well It's a strange little story. It consists of two verses hidden deep in the Old Testament. It's about the prophet. He was going about his business, moving from place to place. And these, what were called children, most of the commentators believe that they were foolish people, like children, came out and teased the prophet because he was bald and the prophet cursed them. And then God sent out to she she-bears who destroyed those 42 children. It's a very powerful story about how we must be careful how we handle God and the things of God. This lady had it accurate, but she had it so twisted. But the venom. And eventually I had to start hiding everything because I was so scared you'll see it. Because you know, us pastors have to be exposed to some of the foulest language that you probably have never heard. <laughs> but it was venomous. I thought, the only way I can see I can see this snake that was and and I just realized, you know, to the children of God the thought of the presence of God is absolutely beautiful. To those who are not believers, it is offensive. And the Bible tells us that in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. It says the Son, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. He sustains all things. Not just the things of the church. He sustains all things. And the world may think it can sustain itself and be reliant on nothing and nobody, but it deceives itself. And it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, it says, our lives are like a Christ-filled fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, it's the dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, it's life-giving perfume. Isn't that amazing? And so I want to tell you the presence of God does not always bring with it no opposition. Because the world distastes it. And that's why sometimes when we go into situations and, and we bring the presence of God into that situation, we can get a nasty response. Because for them, it smells like death. But for us, it smells like life-giving perfume. The last verse in John 21, verse 12, that we read... Firstly, it's interesting to note when they got to the shore, Jesus already had fish on the fire. He didn't need the fish they had caught, it was already on the fire. Just interesting. Then he says, Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. And none of the disciples dared to ask, Who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. All doubt was removed. And I believe we must trust for more of God's presence in this congregation and in our lives and in our homes. Would you stand with me as we pray together and ask the Lord to make his presence real to us here and in our homes. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we recognize today that your presence is vitally important in our lives. And so, Lord, we, we declare that we do not want to do things on our own, but we want to do things in alignment with your will and with your presence. Lord, if your will is that this church will be used as a place where the presence of God is experienced in an unusual way, there is nothing greater that we could long for. And so we, we open up this church, we, we open up these roofs as you are walking on the shore and we surrender it to you we open up our hearts and our lives we surrender ourselves to you as you're walking on the shoreline and we recognize it is the lord and like peter we want to we want to jump out and we want to swim We wanna get to you as soon as possible. We don't want to just follow you, but we want to sit and we wanna eat with you. We wanna know what it is to have close and intimate relationship with you. And we know ultimately, Lord, that your presence will draw people, even if initially their reaction is perhaps negative. But we know that ultimately, That life-giving perfume will break through over the smell of death and doom and that many can come to know you in the process and that's our longing. So we dedicate ourselves to you, Lord. Come and invade us with your presence. Come invade our cars now as we travel with your presence. Come and invade our homes and our places of work, our families, our marriages, our relationships. Come and invade our children and our parents. Come and invade those who perhaps haven't felt your presence in a very real way for a while. And may we become a congregation for whom the presence of God is the greatest joy, and the greatest delight. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, lift up the smile of his countenance upon you and give you peace. And all God's children said, Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.